Hello and welcome to the Better Human podcast. My name is Adam Wagner and I'm a barrister specialising in human rights. This podcast is all about human rights. This episode is all about the rights of older people, particularly in the context of this dreadful year of pandemic we've had when so many older people have lost their lives. What have we learned? What can we do to improve the rights of older people? I've got two fantastic guests to discuss that. Geraldine Van Buren, who's a barrister at Doughty Street Chambers and a professor of international human rights law at Queen Mary University of London. And Ken Bluestone, who's the head of policy and influencing at Age International and was previously chair of the Political Alliance of the Rights of Older People. The Better Human podcast is kindly supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate course taught in London. You can join the criminal justice and human rights pathway or the politics and human rights pathway and deepen your knowledge and understanding of their challenging interactions as well as being in an environment that champions social justice. If you want to support this podcast and help to make it sustainable, please give a few pounds a month. You can do it at www.betterhumanpodcast.com. You can also find show notes there and references to the speakers and other materials. So thanks so much, Ken and Geraldine, for joining me. I, I want to start the conversation by asking about the term older people, because we're going to be talking about the rights of older people. But I don't know whether this is a term which has a very clear definition or not. Um, and I think, at least in the public eye, the, the expression older person has all sorts of possible meanings. And I, and I wonder, and I'll start with Ken, just to ask you what, what you mean when you talk about older people. Yeah, so I think there are two ways that we need to, to, to really look at this. One is um, a very specific um, legal um, definition and understanding, which is directly linked to a person's statutory rights. And I'll turn to Geraldine in a moment to kind of give greater precision on what that actually looks like in terms of specific human rights um, language. Um, and, and it's important to say that, of course, because those types of definitions, that, that, that those standards are set differently in different countries. So what an older person is in the UK it may be different from what an older person is legally um, established in uh, Cameroon, for example, in Africa. Um, and indeed, even the UN um, you know, has a, a kind of a, a set um, a notion of what is the age at which one becomes older, which is around 60, but they change and they, they sometimes talk about being older as also being the age 65. But the second part, it, I think actually is really much more important because this is, we are not defined as being older by what is on our passport or what is on our birth certificate. We're defined as being older by the way society treats us and the way that we're perceived by others. And I think that is um, one of the most uh, critical aspects of understanding how human rights um, can, how, how we're affected by human rights and how our protection uh, you know, really needs to um, be strengthened. Geraldine? Well, different continents have taken a different approach, but the reason they've taken those approaches is to change the whole culture and image of older persons as always being vulnerable and just requiring protection and not participation rights. But in uh, Africa, uh, there's an African protocol, an additional treaty 
on the rights of older persons, and they define it as above 60. In uh, the Americas, the Organization of American States, there's a particular treaty, an American convention, and they set the borders as between above 60, but not above 65, which has implications in terms of the UK. So you could take a sort of regional approach. People often look at definitions as a way of saying it's too difficult to deal with a particular group of people. It's unnecessary to change things because it's going to be too difficult to define older persons. Um, but I think we've seen time and time again, both nationally and internationally, that those challenges can be met. And obviously, we, we're, we're recording this in January 2021. We've experienced pretty much a year of pandemic, um, of the COVID-19 crisis. And that has had a special significance for older people um, because it is, you know, overwhelmingly a disease which impacts older people worse and particularly, I guess, slightly older than over 60s, but it's a, it gets progressively more risky as you get older. Um, what do you think we've learned about our society's attitudes towards older people from the this year of pandemic? So this is one of the devastating aspects of this period of history we've just lived through is the demonstration of how much ageism, so negative attitudes, negative perceptions towards older people exist in our society. Um, and the real impact that this has on people's lives because of this ageist attitudes, this ageism, um, we have seen um, countless numbers of preventable deaths, um, people dying in horrific circumstances. And, and, and this is continuing even today. Um, so the statistics in the UK um, showing that, um, you know, that half of the population of care homes in, in Sussex um, were, uh, half the population died of COVID-19 over the Christmas period. Um, I mean, these are things that should be unimaginable and unthinkable if we were looking at other groups. But particularly what is, is allowing it to happen is the fact that linked to this word older is this perception that being older means that we can be considered to be of less worth, of less value in society. And that has been stated explicitly by some commentators early on in the COVID uh, crisis. We heard people saying in the media that this is potentially a good thing because it would be a cull of the older population. We just have to pause a second and think, what would happen if we replaced that word older with any other characteristic in society? If we were to use a religious affiliation with that, the color of a person's skin, if we were, it would be unthinkable that a comment like that could be made. And yet, um, we, we, we hear time and again um, these attitudes being expressed that are, it is being given, it is permissible to actually 
have that view. And this is what goes right to the heart of the topic of what we're, we have today, which is that how do we recognize that a person maintains their rights is a person that has equal rights at any stage of their life. And, and COVID-19 has, has, has shown that, um, sadly, we, we are not yet at a stage in which that sense of protection of rights continues on when we get older and society does treat us differently. Part of the problem is that um, society doesn't think of older persons as having rights. It's more charity, uh, plus the invisibility, the invisibility in a care home. And older persons uh, generally on being consulted a common theme is that they, they feel invisible, they want to participate and are able to participate more in public policy decisions, both generally and those that affect them. Uh, an extreme example is the do not resuscitate that we've seen. Um, and, you know, if one were to have a, a new treaty, and it's clear that something is needed, something more, um, then uh, you would have enshrined, you know, the right to be consulted about all aspects of healthcare. Can we just disentangle some of the um, aspects of the approach to older people? I mean, I, I've seen that argument over and over again as a kind of, I, I don't know whether it's, you call it a utilitarian argument or a sort of economic value argument, something like that, of at least... Um, at least it's only older people, you know, um, or, or to, to the effect of if we're balancing the closing the economy, and this is where the argument usually appears, if we're balancing the cost of closing the economy, is it worth it to save, you know, and this is how it's expressed, um, or to reduce the risk for people who are no longer economically um productive or are likely to be economically productive for not very much longer. Well, that's part of the, the myth of the, the stereotyping. I'm glad you raised that, Adam. You know, it's assumed that older persons are, are, are only a burden. And the World Health Organization in 2015 did a study of this and they looked at, you know, uh, the, the tax that older people play who, who are working, increasingly older people are working more and more, both because of necessity, inadequacy of state pensions, and because of desire. Uh, they also looked at all the unpaid work that, that really oils society uh, around the world in communities, from unpaid childcare to voluntary work. If you go into hospitals pre-COVID, you would see a lot of older persons doing work uh, completely voluntarily, uh, and that uh, takes off the burden of nurses uh, and other medical staff. It, it's purely this invisibility, rather like uh, we used to have with women uh, and women's work, uh, we now see in relation to uh, older persons' contribution to society. Exactly, and, and I think that it's, it's it, it, certainly in terms of um, our understanding of um, what that from that utilitarian perspective, um, uh, the very fact is the data is flawed because we, we do not actually accurately capture um, what is the experience of being older in that respect and don't understand the economic contributions that are, that are being made if you want to look at it purely from that perspective. 
But we have to go back again to the fact that we're not actually talking about this from a utilitarian perspective. Um, we're talking about this from a human rights perspective, which is to say that every person's life has value. And there are policy choices that the government has to make around COVID-19. But um, that does not um, give the government the, uh, the, the, the permission, if you will, or even the members of the medical health staff permission to ride roughshod over people's own ability to take decisions as it affects their own lives, as happened with DNR. Um, it means that a person's uh, ability right to choose, for example, um, whether or not they want will participate in society um, has to be treated equally. So yes, there is greater risk, um, for example, in terms of uh, a person that is not vaccinated who is older in circulating in society. But um, we, we also have to be mindful of the fact that a person's chronological age is, is not the sole part or indicator of what determines a person's, um, the impact that, 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 that COVID is going to have on them. So we, we must be very um, careful not to um, discriminate willfully against um, a, people as being older, uh, based on a lot of these false premises, false assumptions. Yeah, but but even if even if the assumptions were correct, um, say somebody who is older is if you just counted the money they are worth to society or the economic worth i'm just just pr proposing this i mean i mean isn't that in itself a bogus means of of weighing you know when the when when we're talking about the, the possibility of them losing their lives or suffering very significant illness and protecting them from that it just seems that whole equation is is fraught with with risks and moral moral downfalls um and maybe it's one that we should never really be having that conversation at all i mean i, I how i mean for, i guess the question is can we can we in a in a rights framework avoid that conversation entirely even if there were you know because you can always make an argument for you know because economics is so vague you could make you could make arguments one way or the other but isn't that an argument that is just inherently dangerous and one can we look at this through a different lens altogether well, the human rights framework would, would shift completely away from that because the human rights is, is premised on dignity and equality. And obviously such an approach is uh, inhumane uh, and unhuman, contrary to what every global religion, m most major philosophies in the world uh, follow. And frankly, a state is nothing without its people, all of its people. And, and it's... And it's premised on the fact that um, it, we, we carry these rights with us at every stage of our life. Mm -hmm. And so that it, it, in actual fact, we're not, we shouldn't be thinking of older people in that sense as a, a, a different category of human being. Um, what we, the question we need to be asking ourselves is what is required to, in order to ensure that a person has the ability to live a healthy life, as healthy a life as possible at any age, what is required in order to make sure that a person continues to have um, the full range of choices available to them in terms of employment, in terms of participation in society, and to be able to exercise choice 
over the type of healthcare and social care that they receive. Um, and, and these are things that we consistently remove, we take away, we pull off the table from a person, either implicitly or explicitly as they get older. Implicitly because we will start to make assumptions about a person's capacity and treat them differently. Um, explicitly when we have the case, again, we go back to the, the care home settings and the, the do not resuscitate orders when uh, the decision was being removed from them quite arbitrarily, but quite explicitly. So, I mean, this is where we've got to, we, we have such opportunity. And, and of course, what, you know, what we, what we don't know um, is uh, what is the situation of that particular individual? A person's chronological age is just that. It's the date that's on their birth certificate. It says absolutely nothing about what is their state of health, what is their status in society and their economic uh, contributions they're making, who they interact with and who they support, um, and indeed how many extra years of life they might have, healthy years of life they might have, or what they might do with all of them. And so we, we, we've got to allow the person that is able to do the most with all of the time that they have available in life to be able to do that. But equally, we also have to be able to support the people um, as we're quite consciously trying to do. And the UK in particular is very good at this, but other countries, of course, that have advanced social protection systems do this. But we've got to make sure that we recognize where there is um, you know, greater frailty does come in that people have a support in order to be able to live out their lives as best as possible, including, and this is often forgotten, the ability to die a decent death. So the importance of being able to go out of our lives with dignity as well in terms of palliative care. The Better Human podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just $3 a month, that's just over £2, via our Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash betterhuman. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable and I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. Do you think things are better for older people than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago? Globally, I, I'm not sure that's the right question because uh, <laughs> that leads you to, oh, well, we've had some progress, therefore, you know, that's enough. The, the point is we're in the 21st century. We do not want a particular group of, of people uh, to suffer this discrimination, which is affecting their very right to life, the most fundamental um, of all rights. We've improved the situation. We still have a long way to go with the earlier stage of life, uh, rights of children. It, it, it's just that there seems to be this um, building put around older people uh, and uh, no entry in terms of equalizing their dignity, their rights to equality from everything in relation to the right to work, uh, security of tenure in care homes um, and um, palliative care. You'd be surprised if you look at some of the new treaties that are coming that have come out on older persons, how detailed 
they are of, of, of what is needed now. So I would add to that, that um, uh, one of the transformations that we have seen over this period of time, the last 10, 20, 30 years, is, is a demographic revolution. So um, what things that, 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 that has occurred is that life expectancy has increased um, extraordinarily so to the point where, um, in, and, and coupled with that increase in life expectancy, you have a reduction in the number of births across many societies. So we, we, that is what is leading to this very um, necessary discussion and understanding of what aging societies are. And you see it particularly acutely in some countries more than others. Um, Japan is the poster child for what a hyper-aging society looks like. But South Korea, within a much shorter period of time, um, is, has, has reached that as well. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean just because we are living longer, we are living longer better. Um, and there's two things in particular that I think that we have to be mindful of. One is that whilst um, life expectancy is increasing, um, the healthy life expectancy, the number of years that a person actually lives well, um, isn't necessarily. And that this is also gendered. Um, one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is that um, the majority of people who grow older, grow into, into later life, are women. Um, and the proportion of their lives that are led... Um, this healthy life expectancy is, is less. So they're, le they're leading longer lives, but they're leading longer lives unwell. Um, that's something that um, is, is new in the sense that we are, have extended our lives and we are living in this kind of, um, in, in, in wealthier societies in the retirement period, but that, uh, that, to be able to do that, but managing multiple chronic illnesses at the same time, including mental health issues, um, is, is, is a critical factor in, in what current state of affairs is. Um, but there are other things that have been taking place, which we've got to also um, think hard about as a society, which is that um, it, it isn't, of course, just our ability not to work. It's our ability to work that's important. And you asked the question at the beginning of the podcast, you know, what is an older person? Well, the way that you're treated by society um, begins and can begin even in the UK as early as the age of 50 in terms of society's attitudes towards you. And the indicator of this is if you become unemployed, as a person who is over the age of 50, you are much more likely to regain employment than you would be at a younger age. And this comes at a time when people have to be working longer because retirement age, of course, is, is, is increasing. So the attitudes that are embedded in society, these negative perceptions towards a person as they get older are very much prevalent but we don't yet have in place the societal attitudes and adequate protections that allow that person to stay gainfully employed when they must do financially because they don't have any other choice. And some of these beliefs are uh, stigmatizing beliefs in relation to women are, are, you know, go back centuries. So in relation to widowhood and, and that you'll find in some rural parts uh, of Africa and Africa is dealing with this as a continent, 
widows are expelled from the village or to the edge of the village or disinherited. Uh, so there are, are, are lots of problems that have been continuing for a long time. So it's not a, a case that things are always improving and are continuously improved for older persons. Uh, the impact on life expectancy of, of COVID is clearly going to have an impact. And then again, with the sub-Saharan Africa, the impact on life expectancy of HIV AIDS still um, has that impact on life expectancy. So if you, you mentioned, Ken, that the, we need more protections, what would those protections look like? What could they look like and how would they work? The starting point has to be to articulate much more clearly the fact that, uh, as Geraldine has said, that older people do have rights or we have rights as we get older. And this is happening already in varying degrees in different parts of the world. But what is missing is a universal standard. Um, So the fact that we can say categorically, or uncategorically, I should say, that no matter where we are in the world, we are a human being, and that the rights that we carry with us as a human being do not change, that they are inalienable rights. And what we need to look at is how can we better protect those rights in those different circumstances that we experience when we get older. And that is what's missing. Um, because the international human rights system at the moment um, simply does not explicitly recognize those rights that we have in later life. One of the arguments about against having a global treaty is that it, it, it's going to make it unaffordable for poorer states. And yet um, it's actually Africa and uh, the inter-American states that are leading the way. So there's a, a treaty in Africa focusing on older persons' rights from everything from employment to palliative care uh, to the duties on the state to um, uh, change the image of uh, older persons and uh, inter-American convention as well. Uh, Similar, uh, putting duties on the states to combat uh, fear of death, enabling the individuals to participate equally in society, so it doesn't see, uh, see as you know, Ken referred to earlier on that older age is not just biomedical. Older age is sort of social environment. So uh, older persons should be consulted in uh, the construction of buildings so that they're able to have access. And this is something which doesn't just benefit older persons. It benefits those with disabilities. It benefits uh, those who are weaker physically. Uh, in our communities. So it's not setting off one group against another. When you uh, improve the rights of older persons, it impacts on uh, everyone's uh, rights and improves the quality of life for all. Going back to this this idea of having a universal set of standards, having an international legal instrument, um, one of the things that that there's, there's two different sides to what, why this is necessary and what this can help achieve. Um, so first is that that legal certainty that that creating that artic- uh, greater better articulation of what rights are and how they should be applied the guidance that governments need in order to better put in place p- 
policies that meet the needs of all the populations. But crucially, what is missing, and again, this is, this is one of the things that's really come to the fore with COVID-19, is that we have to reframe our perceptions and our understandings about older people. And we have to shift our perceptions away from um, things being, uh, the, 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 the policies, our approaches, the, the things that we um, put in place to help older people as things that we do to older people, to an understanding that actually older people are us, or is, is everyone. This is an experience that hopefully everyone will have, and that we, we, we have to make sure that and we, we do reframe our understanding and recognize that, that a person is a rights holder. This, this has been the most powerful thing that's come out from um, the, the most recent Human Rights Convention, the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, is that it, it, it firmly showed us all in society that it is not the fact that a person, the, the fact that a person is living with a disability um, does not define who they are in society, does not define their participation in society. It's the accommodation, what we do as a society to enable that person to be fully a part of society that makes the difference. It's not the fact that a person is a wheel, sitting in a wheelchair that prevents their access to buildings. It's the fact that there is a ramp or even whether or not they have a wheelchair that allows them that access just to give one example. It also gives governments a framework of best practice so they can refer, you know, this has worked, this hasn't worked. And that obviously spares people uh, pain and loss. And it takes, it, it takes older person's rights out of the party political uh, and puts it very much on, on a, a, an agreed uh, universal uh, level. And it also helps detail uh, you know, what does the right to dignity mean, uh, which embraces uh, all of these rights? And it's not that we have to wait for an international treaty uh, to be drafted, because as we know, that can take a long time, but it starts to begin a whole um, national conversation about these rights. And, and states, as they've done with other treaties, as treaties are being drafted, can use some of those policies and incorporate it into national law. So it's, it's rights in action. And, and this wouldn't be the first um, specific instrument for a specific group um, or a specific category of people, would, would it? I mean, for those who listening who aren't familiar with the framework of international human rights, it's fair to say that there's quite a few other specific, group-specific conventions already in place. And some based on age. So there's a whole group of treaties on children's rights, which is age related uh, and we already have it, it wouldn't be that difficult a task for the global community because we already have the inter-american convention on older persons and the african protocol on older persons so so you know we've got the drafts there we know what rights need to be and what's crucial is that you involve older people in the process of the drafting and, and effectively this is the international human rights system working at its best it's saying actually taking stock and recognizing actually have we got it right um, is there something that needs to be improved on you know when you go right back to origins and kind of how our understanding of human rights first began with the universal declaration of human rights um, there was a big omission 
um, because in that initial framing set of paragraphs and language, um, it, it didn't refer specifically to age as being a, a category, as something to bear in mind, to be thinking about that could be uh, the basis for discrimination so that we could be treated differently on the basis of our age. Um, and that lack of specificity has meant that we've lived through this whole period of decade, almost a century now, of an obscurity and visibility, um, as, as Geraldine said. And, and, you know, I think just not, not, not to go back to some horrific stories, but, but, but it's really important to bear in mind that we are talking, you know, about a whole range of experiences. There's a huge diversity of experience, of course, of what it means to be older. And so that protection of rights, you know, may be something to make sure that you know, women who were denied um, in the UK the full protection, the access to social protection, their pensions, when the change and shift happened at a certain time, you know, is, is one you know, aspect of it. But you also see um, horrific stories of human rights abuses taking place and violence against women purely on the basis of their age, being attacked with machetes, being accused of being witches because that society is perceiving and treating them differently and is allowing them to be attacked in this way. And so we've got to capture and to, to put at the heart of this, this is the fact that uh, this sense of dignity and what is it required to ensure that that's instilled um, this is this is the power of human rights convention and 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 as Geraldine rightly pointed out it's um it's not about the piece of paper it's about the process so it's about the conversation that has leading up into the creation of a convention but it's also about the process that goes on about getting it implemented and making sure that the best possible policies are put in place and acted on and what what can we do to make that happen? What what's happening at the moment? What would you think should happen in the future? Well, the the, the good news is that um, you know the world's governments have recognised that something has to happen around this, and there's been a discussion happening um, for quite some time, um, and that and um, so there is a a, a UN meeting process taking place, the open-ended working group on aging, it's called, where um, the topic of on the table is a, the better protection of the rights of older persons and whether or not there should be a convention. Um, 104, the, the, the Secretary General came uh, out with a very strong affirmation this year that the rights of older persons need to be protected. Um, because of the abuses that took place um, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And 146 member states signed a letter to say, actually, we agree with that. And we agree that the process towards creating this set of international legal standards needs to be accelerated. Now, that is hugely important news. It's very good. Um, that mean we're still far from the type of consensus you need to have in diplomatic terms to get agreement to begin the process of drafting a convention. But I think there is a, a much heightened awareness of 
the need that something has to change and there has to be um, better standards put in place. Yes, it's, it's taken a, a tragedy, really, to get to that statement. And it's a tragedy that it's taken a tragedy and one wants to prevent further. So there is an urgency uh, to this task as well. Uh, so it shouldn't take as long as perhaps some other treaties uh, have taken, uh, because the rights that are needed, uh, the protections that are needed for uh, older persons globally are there. Uh, and so it should be a, a much more straightforward uh, way of proceeding than perhaps with some of the earlier treaties. Um, alongside, so in, in order to get governments to the table, in order to make sure that we can really enshrine these standards and to, to, to make visible, to articulate as clearly as we can what the protection of human rights actually looks like for all the people and to make sure that it gets embedded right down to the grassroots. So how do we make sure that the tragedies that took place in the homes over this past year never happen again? Has to happen from ordinary people basically saying, we expect more um, from their governments. Um, and, and, and this is one of the challenges we face. Um, what we don't have enough of are hordes of angry older people, <laughs> basically, um, holding government to account um, and saying, actually, how can you let this happen? And where are the standards and where are the protections that are going to protect not only us, but are going to protect our grandchildren? Because it's, it's the world that they're going to be growing older into that we're building by having these standards. So what we really need to see is far more pressure being put on governments across the globe to take that next necessary step to take that action um, and for people to demand that this international set of standards, this international human rights convention for all the people, um, that process, that it should begin. Ken, what can people do um, in, in terms of your work? How can people answer that call? So I work for an organization which is UK based, but is working to help older people in um, lower and middle income countries, um, Age International. Uh, but we work as part of a network um, uh, called Help Age International. And we are also a founding member of this alliance of organizations called the Global Alliance of Older People. Um, in the UK context, um, you know, uh, politics works constituency politics works. And I think for anyone who is UK based, who is listening to this, who wants to know what to do, the best thing to do is to ask your member of parliament, what is the government doing about the rights of older persons in this international context? What can be done to bring about a convention? And the same holds true in other countries. So we've seen time and again, um, citizens taking their government to account, citizens in Uganda demanding and in, uh, creating a social pension, basically, uh, for the first time for its citizens. So that kind of direct action, citizens speaking to their politicians works. And I think that's the best place to start. Great. Well, thanks so much, um, Geraldine, Ken, for joining me. Um, it's been a really interesting and important discussion. 
um and thank you ken for for it was ken's idea to 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 have this and i really appreciate you coming to me it was great great well thanks so much thanks adam thank you both so thank you very much to my fantastic guests ken bluestone and geraldine van buren the better human podcast is supported by goldsmiths law and their pioneering law llb undergraduate course taught in london you can join the criminal justice and human rights pathway or the politics and human rights pathway and deepen your knowledge and understanding of their challenging interactions as well as being in an environment that champions social justice if you want to support this podcast or find the show notes, you can go to www.betterhumanpodcast.com. Thank you very much. My name is Adam Wagner. See you next time on the Better Human Podcast. Better Human.